Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Good to see you. Thanks for showing up for next this morning. Glad all of you are here. Um, don't really have a whole lot to announce, but I do have um, a good bit of material to cover today, so I want to go ahead and get rolling. Before I take off, I just want to say um, that, uh, and I think this is the first time I've done this, but I really do appreciate um, you guys coming in here every Sunday. Um, every Sunday, I get to get up here and do what I love. I, I love doing this, and it's very fulfilling to me, and um, y'all, all of you, except for John, uh, have been very supportive. <laughs> y'all, y'all are very supportive, and, and y'all uh, indulge me, and I just wanted to tell you that I do, um, I really do appreciate that. I mean, if you uh, really need my support, I'll I would like to have your support, Jonathan. <laughs> I'll step across the line. <clears throat> uh, but anyway, uh, sincerely, thank you uh, all very much. Um, I hope you come in here because you get something out of it, and um, I, I will continue to teach it so that you can get something out of it, but um, I do appreciate you guys being here. Um, we are continuing our series today, Boxes, and um, we're going to keep the review very short this week, um, and I have to do this because you guys aren't, you're not the same people are here every Sunday. And if, so if you miss a Sunday here or there, sometimes you don't have a clue what's going on, <clears throat> Lori. But um, anyway, once again, this series is all about, it's all about perspective. And I want y'all to, to say this with me today. It's about how I see what I see. Say that. How I see what I see. It's about how I see what I see. Because of our lack of perspective, what we often think of as being the problem isn't really the problem at all. The problem is us. We think they are the cookie thief, for those of you that were here last week. But really, it's us. We think they're the shoplifter. They're the problem. But really, we're the ones that have a pocket full of problems. And so last week, we started talking about how to get out of the box. We spent a couple of Sundays talking about what the box is, and then we spent a couple of Sundays talking about how we get in the box to begin with, and then last Sunday, in just kind of a general form, uh, informational, introductory way, we started talking about how to get out of the box. We're going to continue that this week and be a little bit more specific, but last Sunday, as we were wrapping up, I gave you some action steps, and I got some good feedback um, from the first time I did these action step things, and so I wanted to include them again this week. Remind you about action steps from last week. So action steps from last week, this was the takeaway. This is how you live the material in practical terms, how you put it into practice every day in your life. This is how you live the material from last week. So number one, and there are six of them, don't get your righteousness from yourself and your works, but do get your righteousness from having faith in God and what He has done. It's not about being perfect, it's about getting better. Not about being perfect, it's about getting better. Number two, don't use the vocabulary that we've been using in this series for those of you that have been here. Uh, the box and in the box and that's self-denial or that's self-deception and that's self-betrayal. Don't, don't do that with people who don't already know it. It's okay for us to talk about that stuff with each other, but if you start talking about that with your family members or your coworkers, they're not going to get it. They don't understand it. So instead, do use the principles in your own life but not with people necessarily that don't already know it. Number three, don't look for other people's boxes. That kind of defeats the whole purpose of the series. Look for your own boxes. Don't accuse others of being in the box. And this is especially in, turn, in regards to your spouse. Don't tell your spouse, you're in a box right now. 
Don't tell your spouse, stop acting in the box toward me. And I won't act like I'm in the box toward you. Don't do that. Don't do that. Do try to stay out of the box yourself. Don't focus on what others are doing wrong, but do focus on what you can do right to help. And number six, don't worry about what, whether others are helping you. Do worry about whether you are helping others. So six action steps to live out the material from last week. This week we want to continue with this idea of getting out of the box. And specifically how having a sense of wonder about God will get us out of the box and keep us out. Now, whenever I say a sense of wonder about God, I'm not talking about, oh, I wonder if there's a God. No, obviously, that's not what I'm talking about. We're all pretty certain in this room here today that there's a God. I'm talking about having an awe, a sense of wonder about God will get you out of the box, and it will keep you out of the box. And we're going to look at this today. Socrates said, wonder is the beginning of wisdom. Now, some of you just locked up right there, like you just tightened up. I I want you to open up your brain a little bit. I know what the Bible says. I know you know what the Bible says. And everybody in here is thinking, well, Jason, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yes, you're right, it does. But believe it or not, there have been some pretty smart people that have said some pretty insightful things that can be beneficial, and it might not necessarily be your favorite Bible verse. Okay, so we all okay with that? Socrates, or Socrates, if you know Bill and Ted, um, (laughs) two people in the room got that. Socrates said, wonder is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, It doesn't mean that the Bible is wrong. It's not what he's saying. What if they're both right? What if they're both the same thing? Whenever the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom, and whenever Socrates said that wonder is the beginning of wisdom, what if they're the same thing? What if they mean the same thing? Put that in your tractor and crank it. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Key points for today. And I want you to to kind of, in in your little brain computer, I want you to keep these these key points just pulled up in the screen on the side. Okay, y'all know what I'm talking about? You just, so you can refer back to them. So just make a new window in your brain. Keep them pulled up on the side or a new tab if that's how you like to operate. But just put these over there on the side. Number one, The size of your problem is determined by the size of your God. We magnify what we focus on. And if we focus on God, we magnify Him. If we focus on our problem, we magnify our problem. But wonder, a sense of wonder is necessary, guys, if we're going to be successful, if we're going to have a meaningful life, if our Christian walk is going to mean something, then a sense of wonder is going to need to be there. The second key point I want you to keep pulled up on the side. So first of all, the size of your problem is determined by the size of your God. Number two, God doesn't fit in our box. He doesn't fit in any of our boxes that we've constructed. It doesn't matter how theological you are. It doesn't matter how experienced you are. It doesn't matter how new and cool and relevant you are. God still doesn't fit in your box. Who He is, what He's about, how He works... We never see the whole picture. We never see the whole picture. Our perspectives aren't big enough for Him. And that's just, it's a fact. It's a fact. And we've just got to get used to that. So two key points. There you go. Keep those pulled up on the side. God's not going to fit in our box. Our key focus for today is David. Um, David was a worshiper. And David was a worshiper who was full of wonder. 
We pretty much know everything there is to know about David. We know his story. We know where he came from, who his daddy was, the stuff that he went through, how he became a king, how he fell, how he was you know, re- repurposed and redeemed. David was, uh, whenever in his youth, he was a shepherd boy. And he was the youngest of eight brothers. Now, everything that goes along with those two things, and this is some of the stuff that we tend to gloss over, but he was a, he was a sheep herder. All right? He spent a lot of time in the wilderness with the sheep. He probably didn't smell good all of the time. He was the youngest of the brothers. And we know that back then there was this hierarchy, right? So David got all of the hand-me-downs. He was, uh, he, was, he was overlooked. He was the last in line. I mean, Samuel shows up at the house, right? Y'all, y'all remember the story? He says, I'm here to anoint the next king of Israel. Where are your sons and have them come before me? And one, two, three, four. No, that's not the right guy. That's not the right guy. It's not that guy either. It's not. Is that all of them? Oh, yo, you. Well, I mean, yeah. There's one more. It's just David. He's tending sheep out there in the field. I mean, surely it's not David. Samuel said, "No, you go send somebody to get David. We're not sitting down until he gets here." And nobody in the family even thought. That, that shows you right there what his position was and how they looked at and thought about David and that family. So he's the overlooked, the tolerated younger brother. Smells like sheep. He's kind of weird. I'm sure for David's brothers, they probably thought he's taking the God stuff too seriously. Being out there with the sheep in, in, the, in the field all the time, it, it's, it's messed with his brain. Because it, that's evidenced by the fact that David was a worshiper and a poet. He was a little, little edgy by today's standards, right? He he's, he's a, a, takes God seriously, and he's a poet to boot. He thinks differently from everybody else. And he was caught up in the wonder of God. Absolutely consumed by the wonder of God. Listen to some of the stuff that he wrote. David's out there with the sheep. And he's like, the Lord is my shepherd. I I don't have to worry about anything. I I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and and I don't have to worry about anything. that's, That's my God. David wrote, many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done. And your thoughts toward us, there is, there's none compared to you. There's nobody like you, God. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. In another passage, David wrote, You formed my inward parts, all of this stuff inside of me, and it all just, it all just works the way it's supposed to, and you did that. You wove me, you put me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And my soul knows it very well. This was the heart of David. William Blake, the poet, said it this way, To see a world in a grain of sand and a heaven in a wildflower. Hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. David had this this wonder of God. So our text today, we're going to go to 1 Samuel 17. 
I think y'all probably heard this story before. But there was this time in Israel when a problem arose. And it was a taunting, mocking, ridiculous beast of a problem by the name of Goliath. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 4-11 through 11, in a message, it says, A giant, nearly ten feet tall, stepped out from the Philistine line into the open. His name was Goliath from Gath. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was dressed in armor, 126 pounds of it. 126 pounds of armor. This guy was a beast. This was... I mean, Leonard Fournette's got nothing on this guy. He's going to fight wearing 126 pounds of armor. He wore bronze shin guards and carried a bronze sword. His spear was like a fence rail. The spear tip alone weighed over 15 pounds. His shield bearer walked ahead of him. Goliath stood there and called out to the Israelite troops, Why bother using your whole army? Am I not Philistine enough for you? And you're all committed to Saul, aren't you? So pick your best fighter and pit him against me. If he gets the upper hand and kills me, the Philistines will all become your slaves. But if I get the upper hand and kill him, you'll all become our slaves and serve us. I challenge the troops of Israel this day, give me a man and let us fight it out together. When Saul and his troops heard the Philistines challenge, they were terrified and lost all hope. Now guys, look, by the, by the time David showed up on the scene that day, Saul and his army had been there for 40 days. 40 days. Anybody had a, ever had a problem staring you in the face for 40 days? Something that scared you to death for 40 days? Something you didn't know how to fix for 40 days? Something you don't, I don't know what in the world I'm going to do with this, but every day it's there. It's there, it's there, and it's challenging you, and it's rubbing your face in it. This was Saul in Israel for 40 days. And what had happened? For 40 days, King Saul and the whole army there, the only thing they had to show for it was delays, excuses, and they had developed this climate and this culture of fear and caution. Oh, I don't want to go out there. The stakes are too high here, man. We don't want to blow this. I mean, we blow this, we're going, to, we're going to mess everything up. And loss of face and position and prestige that was represented in Goliath was terrifying to their leadership. And it, was, it, it really came about as an immediate result of comparing their ability and resources to the strength of the giant. So right there, they've messed up. They knew, they, know, they knew, we are no match for this guy. He's wearing, he's 10 feet tall, he's wearing 126 pounds of armor. He's been trained how to fight since he was a youth. I mean, we got nothing compared to this. And you know what? They were right. They were right. But the, their perspective was what had them paralyzed. Because they were focusing on my strength compared to His strength, instead of God's strength, which nobody can compare to. I told you earlier, how I see what I see. 
It was how they saw what they saw that had them immobilized. But you know who wasn't paralyzed? David. The kind of weird, flaky shepherd kid. The poet. Not, 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 whoa. not the warrior. The, the worshiping poet shows up on the scene. I, I'm going to mess with some of you today. David shows up on the scene and he has this sense of wonder about God that towers over everything else. Everything else he encountered was just... It, it was God over everything and everything else is just so small. His perspective is so different from the older, experienced, wiser military guys that were all around him. Now here's the thing. They were all seeing the same thing. David saw Goliath. Saul saw Goliath. All of the Israelite warriors, they, were, they all saw a 10 foot tall, trained warrior in 126 pounds of armor. They all saw the same thing. But it's how you see, what you see, that matters. How David saw what he saw was very different. There was a sense of wonder that put things in the proper perspective for David. And guys, if we will have that sense of wonder about God, it will put everything in our lives in proper perspective. Every time. I want to illustrate, this is a cool little reading from Ravi Zacharias. We have an ever-increasing need for wonder the older we get. Y'all have heard the term jaded. You know, you're just jaded. This illustrates it so beautifully. Ravi Zacharias told this story. He said, if I were telling my children the same fairy tale, notice their different reactions. If I took Sarah at age eight and said to her, Sarah, little Tommy got up and walked to the door and opened the door and a dragon jumped out in front of Tommy, then her eyes would go wide. But now imagine me telling little Naomi, who's only four, the same story. Naomi, little Tommy got up, walked to the door, and he opened the door. Naomi's eyes would go wide. Now let's imagine I tell a story to Nathan, who's only two, whose entire worldview is exhausted in one word, cookie. And all I have to say is, Nathan, little Tommy got up and walked to the door. And Nathan's eyes would get wise with amaz amazement. Ravi concludes, you see the difference, don't you? Sarah needs the dragon. Naomi needed to open the door. For Nathan, it's a pretty big deal just to get up and walk to the door. The older you get, the more it takes to fill your heart with wonder, and only God is big enough to fill it. And we are there. We are there. The information age, we know more about our world than ever before. It takes so much to impress us. God... I watched a documentary about the guy, I don't even, man on a wire. He, he, he walked a tightrope between the twin towers whenever they were still standing. You know, and we watched that and we're like, oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty impressive. 
But, you know, all right, well, what are you going to do now to impress me? I mean, I saw this guy walk a tightrope between the Twin Towers. I mean, what you going to know now? Now we've got to go up on two hot air balloons, right? Y'all seen that? Now we've got to go on two hot air balloons. And now we've got to go to the stratosphere and jump out. We can't just jump out of an airplane. Now we've got to take a balloon up into the you know, outer reaches of space and jump out. It takes so much to impress us in this age. Our hearts, they, they become wonder deficient. Because David, he hears this giant, this problem, right? Mouthing off. And it has a different effect on him than anybody else because of his sense of wonder. David hasn't, he's not been conditioned by this environment of fear and unbelief. Man, there's a little sermon right there. And I, I know I'm preachy this morning. It's the nature of the material. But here you go. Because David had been in an environment been in an environment where he was with God and close to God. He was filled with wonder, whereas all these other cats, they were in an environment of fear, in a culture of intimidation. How they saw things was completely different. So you run that out, run out the math. If I want to change how I see things, what do I need to do? I need to get myself to a place where I can spend some time with God. Okay. That, I thought that would go a lot better. All right. That's cool. So he comes in, right? And he's, David's all fresh. And he's, he's untempered by the institutionalized fear of all the rest of these cats out there on the battlefield. To Saul and, his, and, and the rest of his men, Goliath was massive because their God was small. But not to David. David comes in fresh from the fields where he's surrounded by the wonder of God. And he sees Goliath with true perspective. That, remember, that's the danger of being in a box. Being in the box, it distorts your view of reality. So David, he sees Goliath in true perspective. And he's, oh yeah, sure man, I mean, you're, you're huge. You, ten feet tall, I see you man. You got your 126 pounds of armor on and you got the big spear. I mean, I, I see you. But compared to God, I mean, like a, metaphors and similes and figurative language, they fail at this point. Because there is nothing that's going to accurately depict how small and insignificant you are compared to my God. David's sense of wonder puts his problem into proper perspective. And we need a heavy dose of that. A sense of wonder that will put our problems into the proper perspective. So watch this. Why, why was David even at the battlefield to begin with? Come on, you old-time Pentecostal people that have been doing Bible since... Taking lunch to his brothers. Okay, y'all remember that part of the story. Picnic for the brothers. Dad sends him on an errand. Now watch what happens. This is from the message. Eliab, his older brother, heard David fraternizing with the men and lost his temper. What are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business and tending that scrawny flock of sheep? And David said, Dude, all I did was ask a question. Ignoring his brother, he turned to someone else and asked the same question and got the same answer as before. David didn't show up that day prepared to fight a giant. He was not in giant killing mode whenever he got there. 
He was in lunch mode. He was in errand mode. He was in, I got to get this done for dad mode. He might have even been in grumpy mode. I mean, think about it. The older brothers, they're all at the battlefield. David's supposed to be tending the sheep. And that, that's, it's an important job. But I mean, I'm sure if he'd if he asked me to go and been like, oh, okay, I guess my job's unimportant. I mean, I, I got to drop whatever I'm doing and go deliver lunch to this bunch of wackos out here. Been out here for 40 days. They've done nothing and the whole nation knows about it. But oh no, Jason got to drop what he's doing and go take lunch to the brothers. Maybe, I'm, I'm just saying, maybe. It might not have been the case. I don't know. But whatever the case, his initial reaction for visiting the battlefield was altered. It was changed. I came to deliver, to deliver lunch. Here's lunch. Oh, look! A God moment. Oh, look! This, this is an opportunity for God to do something. Suddenly... Goliath steps out on that battlefield whenever David's there. That's, that's what changed. Goliath was doing the same thing he had been doing for 40 days, but what changed was that somebody with a sense of wonder was finally on the scene. And so everything else becomes minimal. Lunch, brothers, sheep, all of it. Everything else takes a back seat. When we see God with a sense of wonder, it allows us to climb out of the box and see the world around us for as it really is. Inside the box, that giant is huge, he's unmovable, he's unbeatable. But outside of the box, God is huge. God is unbeatable. God is unstoppable. That's the type of perspective that will change how you do things. Whenever you are filled with the wonder of God, you, just, you don't look at things the same way. And sadly, that's a perspective that's missing from a lot of our lives because we get so locked in to just the mundane, daily grind. We get locked into mode. We get locked into lunch mode. We get locked into got to get this done mode. We get locked into... My job is important mode. We get locked into mode and we miss the God opportunity because we're stuck inside this box. People in Los Angeles had uh, something pretty scary happen to them back in 1994 in January. There was an earthquake that lasted up to 20 seconds and it hit the San Fernando Valley region in Los Angeles. And uh, it caused nearly $20 billion in damages and killed about 60 people. Much of the city's power was lost because of the earthquake. Radio and television stations were knocked off the air. And that night, the Griffith Observatory in Los Angeles began to receive odd phone calls from all of these panicked citizens around the city reporting a quote-unquote strange sky. They speculated that perhaps the silver cloud above them had somehow caused the earthquake because they had never seen anything like this before. With the city lights made powerless by the earthquake for the first time maybe ever, the people in Los Angeles looked up and saw a dark sky. 
And the scary, smoky, silver cloud that they were all reporting seeing was actually the Milky Way. Today, two-thirds of the United States population and one-fifth of the world can't even see it. There is an entire galaxy up there and they were missing it. It was strange and it was weird to them. And maybe all of this kooky stuff going on is an earthquake and maybe that's, that was the cause of it. Let's not be that way with our view of God. We need to have eyes opened to the wonder of who He is. But David, David gets all that. We're going to get through this story today. He gets all that. He's got the wonder thing nailed down. So he tells Saul in verse 32, Master, said David, don't give up hope. I'm ready to go and fight this Philistine. Which is amazing to me because what's he got? He's got lunch and that's it. I'm ready to go and fight. Now, do you all 'all know this part of the story? What what happens now? Whenever David says, yeah, I'm ready to go fight, what, what does Saul do? Try to do what? Put armor on him. This part of the story should bother all of us. It should bother you a little bit. Yeah, that's right. He tries to put him in armor right. And what does David do, Tommy? He says no. David tells Saul, your armor doesn't work for me. Saul said, oh look, David, uh, listen, I know I've been around here 40 days and haven't done anything, but you need to listen to me because I'm the king and I'm military and I've got experience and I'm older, I know what I'm doing, so you need to listen to what I'm going to tell you. Battle is done this way. Victory comes this way. This is how, David, look, you don't have a lot of experience at this battle stuff, but this is the way we've always done it. I know I'm, I'm standing here and I'm quaking in the boots with the rest of the army, but if you're going to do anything, you, you better make sure you do it our way. See, you've got to have this on. You've got to have that on. You've got to make sure you have this in place and that in place and this on. And you, you, can't, go, you can't go out there without this piece. If you're missing that piece, oh, oh man, I mean, that's the piece that holds it all together, David. You've you got to have that piece. And there's no way you're going to win without this too. Here, you've got to take that. If you're going to win, David, if you're going to beat this giant, you're going to have to look and act just like the rest of us that have been sitting here for 40 days doing nothing. I, I know I'm bothering some of you right now. I'm getting, I'm getting out there. Just, just hang with me for a minute. Don't, don't take me out and burn me at the stake yet. Just listen to me. Here we go. Tradition wasn't getting anything done. David's way worked, right? We know the end of the story. Saul's way didn't work. Now we'll ridicule Saul and we'll praise David whenever it's a Bible story. Oh, Saul, he's so stupid. He should have known better than even try. I mean, there's no way he could have worn that arm and been effective. Yeah, David, go in faith. David, you got God on your side. David, go. And it's all great then. But the minute somebody touches one of our traditions that we like, man, we launch into the stratosphere. 
Not all the traditions, mind you, just, just the traditions we like. David said, Saul, I, I can't fight this way. I can't move in this stuff. It, it doesn't work for me. It doesn't make sense to David to even try to fight that way. Now come on somebody. People are fighting giants out there. And we can't be so in a box that victory has to look a certain way and come through certain methods and if it doesn't follow the traditional way that it's always gotten done, then it's not going to work. We can't be that way. People are fighting giants. So let me put some of you at ease and say it this way. The method has to change. The method has to change. Not the message. The method has to change. People need, they need a path to victory that makes sense to them. They need a path to victory that they can fight in, if that makes sense. If somebody, I know, I know, Somebody's thinking, Jason, teaching good standard. Jason's going charismatic. Hold on a minute. Tradition doesn't work as an end into itself, but neither does all of this relevancy stuff either. We can't keep doing the same thing and expect different results. Tradition. Nor can we attempt to imitate whatever seems cool and hip at the moment, because it'll change, and expect that to be a means to victory either. Y'all get what I'm saying? Tradition's not getting it done, but just being cool and hip and relevant or contemporary, as they say in the video, that's not necessarily the right way to go either. What we need to do, okay, you want the answer? Here it is. What we need to do is we need to mirror Jesus. We need to do it the way Jesus did it. And we need to do whatever comes naturally whenever we start following Him and the leading of the Spirit. If we value what He values and we love what He loves, we're going to be just fine. We need to, I guess the best way to say it, we need to fight the way the Spirit tells us to fight. And if the Spirit says, your traditional thinking, Jason, has got you bound... We need to be willing to climb out of that box. And if Jesus says, Jason, your cool, relevant way of thinking is another, just another type of bondage, then I need to be willing to climb out of that box too. Call it whatever you want to, folks. You can call it traditional. You can call it progressive. You can call it conservative. You can call it liberal. You call it Pentecostal or charismatic or apostolic. Call it whatever you want to call it and slap whatever label on it, it doesn't matter. It just needs to sound, act like, look like, walk like, talk like Jesus. I told you I was going to be a little preachy today. Here's what's going to happen. Chances are, whenever we truly and honestly find the mind of God, we are probably going to be shocked. Because what we're going to find out is his, his will was the most unconventional and at the same time the most uncool thing to have ever occurred to a carnal mind. Whatever it is that Jesus finally does and the way that He does it, we're going to be like, okay, that's wild. 
That's not traditional and that's not all contemporary either. Because Jesus is always this previously third unexplored option. Case in point, how did David win? What did he use? A sling. A sling. The guy's 10 feet tall. He's in 126 pounds of armor, and you can't tell me the dude hadn't dodged a rock or two. He'd been training in war since birth. And David did it with his sling. Not a broadsword passed down from generation to generation. Here, my son, I give you the great and powerful sword of my father. No. It wasn't some special suit of armor that was given to him by the king. Now look, son, this this, this special armor. You know, this... But it wasn't, watch this, it wasn't an invention either. He didn't go out there and defeat Goliath with some brand new thing. It wasn't just something that David said, oh, whoa, nobody's ever done this before. Let me go try that. You're going to kill somebody that way. Church leadership, you will kill somebody with that. It can't be just an invention that you pick up because nobody else has done it. No, it wasn't the traditional broadsword and suit of armor, and it wasn't some new invention either. It was his sling. It was an extension of who David was and where he had been with God. Because he's out there in the field with the sheep. Don't go that way. Don't come by the sheep. I'm bored. Hit it from 50 yards. Can I do it from 55? Or cubits or whatever they used back then. He carried it with him every day. He probably touched it every day. (laughs) Pastor Murphy, I've got to get your head around this. David dared to be himself and what he was good at whenever it came crunch time. That's it. This is what I got. This is what I'm used to. This is who I am. This is what God has trained me to be. This is what God has allowed me to grow in. Let's try that. God doesn't need us racking our brains for the next cool, innovative idea. Nor does He want someone fervently protecting the methods that always worked in the past. What God really needs is just a hungry soul who's daring enough to just be themselves and use what they've got from God. It's what I got. It's who I am. Please, y'all don't misunderstand me today. I am all for innovation. I'm all for that. I'm all for, y'all should understand this by now, I'm all for changing the method. And tradition has its place too. We need some... We need some walls. We need some barriers. We do. But do we know who we are in God? Because innovation and tradition by themselves, can't, they can't tell us who we are. I know people who religiously imitate both. Oh, that's what that church is doing. Look, they did this, they got this, and they got, let's do that. That's religion too. 
we scoff at the religious. That's religion too. And then you got the people on the other side that are still stuck in 1975. We've got to be something more than both of those. My point is this. David used a sling. Not because it was a battlefield tradition. Because it certainly was not. I'm sure there were a lot of guys that looked at David like, this kid is nuts. And he didn't use the sling because he'd been to some creative giant slaying conference and the sling was the coolest thing going. Hey guys, let me show you this new invention we have. This will kill all of your giants right here. Just put small groups in a sling and chunk it and your problems are done. Your church is going to be 500 by next month. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, he used the sling. You want to know why he used the sling? Because it was an extension of who he was. It was something he was good at. It was something that God had given him and that God had provided opportunity for him to train in. By being honestly and completely who God made him to be, he refused to use somebody else's experience. Then what he did was he actually did bring forth this creative, innovative God approach. And watch this. He established a new tradition. He established a new tradition of giant slayers. David and his mighty men. Right? Y'all know what those guys did? Whenever they worked for David? Y'all know about the other brothers of Goliath that got hunted down and killed? And David's use of what God had given him started a new tradition, a new series of innovation. And do you know what happened as a result of David defeating Goliath? What did the rest of Israel do? They see Goliath go down because David's just being who he is and being what God has designed him to be and they come rushing out of the tents. All of a sudden their fear is gone. David being out of the box allowed the rest of the Israelite army to get out of their box. David's sense of wonder about God and putting the giant in proper perspective allowed the rest of the men there to have a sense of, look at what God just did. And if He did it, maybe I can do it. What time is it? Oh my gosh, I'm over. Action steps, and I'm, I'm skipping. Oh, I'm skipping good stuff. It's okay. Number one, here are your action steps for this week. Pursue wonder. Pursue wonder. Look for it. Try to find it. Be in awe of something greater than yourself. Number two, don't put God in a box or your idea of God, even if you're not sure about God. And, and that's not anybody in here, but. Even if you're not sure about God in a certain situation in your life, don't put Him in a box. And allow God to work through what is unique to you. And I'm just, I'm, I want to start calling out people. I mean, the stuff I know about you and the things that you're good at, I, I don't have time to do it all. But allow God to work through what is uniquely you. 
Because that's going to inspire others to get out of their box. Lord, I thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for helping me today. Thank you for, oh, thank you for the just how awesome and amazing and wonderful you are. God, fill our hearts with wonder of you. Show us how to get out of the box. Show us, Lord, that the things that you've given us and the things that you've put in us and, and just who we are by, by your design, is that's what we need. We already have what we need to be victorious, God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, we'll see you next week.